Michael's wife, Sandra, is going to bring us our scripture reading. Thanks, Sandra. Good morning. It's good to worship with you this morning. Thank you for the welcome that we've received today. It's good to see so many involved in the service and in milling around before the service, being so busy. Thank you for that. Let's read the scriptures together. From the book of Luke, chapter 7, and verses 36 to 50, if you're following in the Bibles. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you, everyone, again for, uh, again, as Sandra said, for making us feel so welcome. It's uh, good uh, for us to be with you here again today. Uh, so as Tim has said, we are currently journeying through the Gospel of Luke, exploring who Jesus is and what he came to do. So I believe that we've got the first slide. There we are. 
Now, today we come to an interesting episode in Jesus' life. In fact, and I don't know if there are any fans out there, it resembles an episode of Come Dine With Me, uh, if you're aware of the, the program on telly. We read how one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. What a privilege to be able to invite Jesus into one's own home, into one's own life. Jesus loves to be invited to dine with us. He wants to enter into our homes and into our lives. In this episode, Jesus makes himself comfortable in the home of the Pharisee, reclining at the table. But what was about to happen would make the Pharisee and everyone else in that place very uncomfortable indeed. You see, Jesus challenges our comfortability. Jesus, if invited, will make himself at home in our lives. He does not decline to recline. However, in doing so, he often challenges our comfortability. He urges us out of our comfort zones. He shakes us where we may feel mistakenly safe and secure. He addresses our real messy issues of real messy lives. And in this story, we see a real contrast presented to us. We have the Pharisee, a religious man, a law abider, a law enforcer, at the top of society, respectable, respected. And he is set alongside a woman who lived a sinful life. A description, perhaps, of a lady of the night plying her trade with her alluring perfume. Or, perhaps, a woman who, in her own private life, lived in a way that others judged and labelled as immoral. As we join this dinner party, we see a scene played out before our very eyes. What will Jesus say? What will Jesus do? What would we do? This woman has learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And here it seems that she just turns up a unwanted gatecrasher? Or had she been invited? Is that how she learned Jesus was there? It's possible that the Pharisee arranged for her and Jesus to be here together, an unwitting honey trap for Jesus. It wouldn't be the only time that a Pharisee had set a trap for Jesus. Her motives, I would suggest, seem sincere and genuine. She had arrived with her alabaster jar of perfume, using what she had to express 
how she felt. And what a scene she began to cause. Jesus is reclined at the table and she makes her way over to him, jar in hand, and she stood behind him as he noticed her arrival, creating quite a commotion. Has he heard her, those soft sobs, those increased cries, as she stands at his feet weeping? Surely he hears her weeping, although he does still seem to have his back toward her. And then he could feel his feet becoming wet as she began to wet his feet with her tears, torrents of tears on Jesus' feet. But she doesn't stop there. The commotion continues. She goes further. She then wiped them, wiped his feet with her hair. That hair, that long flowing hair, the hair uncovered, hair of a loose woman. No self-respecting woman in that day would behave in this way. This was not appropriate behaviour. But she does not stop there. The scandal increases. Not only her hair wiping across Jesus' feet, but now her lips on his feet as she kissed them. The kissing of the feet. What next? Well, next comes a fragrant aroma filling every corner of that place as she poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Everyone will have known what was happening by now. And you can imagine all table talk has gone. Silenced by the sobs, halted by the hair, killed by the kisses, paused by the perfume. And certainly the Pharisee, well, the host of the meal, saw this. And what is more, we hear his inmost thoughts. As he says to himself, if this man was a prophet, then he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He knew that. He had made a judgment call about the situation, about the woman, about Jesus, whether this was a setup or an opportune happening. This was all that was needed to inform or reinforce the Pharisees' opinions about Jesus and the woman. She is a sinner. He is not a prophet. No prophet would allow such a thing to take place, certainly not to progress this far. And we hear this Pharisee's inmost thoughts, yet so does Jesus. See, Jesus knows the thoughts that we have, thoughts about him, thoughts about others, thoughts about ourselves. He knows the judgments we make and the conclusions we come to. Nothing is hidden before his eyes or his ears 
or his mind or his heart. And so tellingly, we read how Luke writes that Jesus answered him. But the Pharisee was not talking to Jesus. He was not even asking Jesus anything. He was thinking to himself, yet Jesus answered him. I wonder what you are thinking about Jesus, about others, about sinners, about yourself. See, Jesus hears your thoughts. Nothing is hidden. And he has something to say on the matter. In fact, he knows who you are and he calls you by name. You see, Jesus was on first name terms with this Pharisee for he says, Simon. Last time I was with you, we looked at a few passages in Luke and saw how Jesus spoke with another Simon, a fisherman, and taught him a thing or two. Simon means listen. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. I believe here today that Jesus has something to say to each one of us. Something to tell you this morning. He addresses you personally. He knows you by name. He knows all about you. And Jesus has something to teach this, Simon. See, Jesus will always teach us. We need to be willing to listen to Jesus, the teacher. Listen and learn. In fact, Simon replied, tell me, teacher. So Jesus tells him a nice little story, a story of contrasts, yet also one of commonalities, about two people. They were both in debt. This they had in common. They were both in debt to one and the same person. They owed money to a certain moneylender. But there was a difference, the size of their debts. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. One owed him 10 times as much as the other. What a contrast. However, whatever the size of their respective debts, they had this in common. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. Their unmanageable debts left them both in the same place, completely indebted. Yet, to both of them, the money lender acts the same. He forgave the debts of both. He wipes out each of their unpayable debt. What a generous money lender! He is. I mean, who would ever, who could ever find such grace and mercy? The story seems unbelievable. And then Jesus asks Simon a question to see if he understands the story. Now, which of them will love him more? 
Now all eyes are on Simon. What are you going to answer, Simon? In front of all your Pharisee friends? Surely that's an easy question to answer, isn't it? The answer is obvious. Anyone would know. Surely it's staring you right in the face. And yet there seems to be a bit of doubt in Simon's reply, a a hesitation. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I suppose. Are you not sure, Simon? Do you think Jesus is trying to catch you out? Trying to trap you? Perhaps you need to ask a friend. Do you need a 50-50? Or ask the audience. What would they say? I mean, what would you say in answer to Jesus' question? How would you answer Jesus? Which of them will love him more? Well, Simon has given his answer. And to Simon, Jesus then says, you have judged correctly. Seems to be a different, different set of uh, things here, so I'm not sure what order they've come up. Simon, Jesus says, you've judged correctly. You can hear the sigh of relief coming from Simon. The tension dissipates. But Jesus hasn't stopped there. We should be under correct judgment at this point. Hmm. Okay, take that one off then. Uh, Otherwise, there'll be a... Oh, oh there, we go. there we go. Don't have much joy with PowerPoint story. <laughs> he continues with the story, but now he refers to the real people in the room, around that table, those contrasting, those with something in common. And at this point, Jesus turned towards the woman. See, up to this point, He seems still faced away, reclined, his back to her, but now he twists round and sees her. But he still has Simon in his sights, for he continues to speak to Simon, because he wants Simon to see what he sees. Do you see this woman? he asks. Well, you can imagine Simon's mind working overtime. What kind of question is that? Of course I see this woman. Who cannot see this woman? From the moment she entered into my house until right now, we've all seen her. Her jar and her weeping and her tears and her hair, her lips, her kisses, her perfume. I see her. I hear her. I smell her. I see this woman. But it's though Jesus is going deeper with this question, no, Simon, do you really see this woman? Do you see this woman how I see this woman? Can you see this woman, Simon? Can you see past your prejudices and your pride? Could Simon, the Pharisee, who makes a correct judgment in theory, have what it takes to make a correct judgment in reality. 
Is he seeing clearly? And here Jesus sets the self-righteous Pharisee alongside the sorrowful sinner, contrasting the one who belonged, I came into your house, to the one who intruded. Contrasting three times the Pharisee who did not with the sinful woman who did. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Simon did not show even the basic signs of hospitality to Jesus. He had invited him into his own home for a meal. Come dine with me. Yet he held him at a distance, so near, yet so far. He holds Jesus at arm's length, whereas the woman couldn't have got closer. And Jesus offers his judgment on the matter, continuing the contrast. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, Simon judged the story correctly. He got the theory right. The one with the greater debt forgiven shows the greater love. But he had not judged this situation, his situation correctly. When it came to real life, he failed to see. Simon stood as judge over this woman, seeing and noting her every action, yet he turned a blind eye to his every inaction. He failed to see what Jesus saw clearly, the offer of an unpayable debt written off for her and for him. Yes, him. Simon failed to realise and recognise the one to whom he was indebted, whereas the woman recognised Jesus as the one who offered forgiveness. And now finally Jesus addresses the woman herself, speaking words that she needed to hear and receive. And this in front of everyone gathered, everyone who stood in judgment over her, your sins are forgiven. Perhaps you need to hear those words. You know what you've done and what you've failed to do and how you've lived. Not one of us can hide our lives from God. Each one of us, before a holy God, needs to receive his forgiveness offered to us through Christ, freely. Jesus Christ on the cross, taking our sin on himself, dying for us and inviting us to follow. Pick up your cross and follow me, he says. Die to your old way of life and receive and live the new life. Jesus, in effect, invites us, come, die with me.
come live with me. A slate, wiped clean, a new start, a new life in Christ. And yet as we hear in verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Note the other guests. Notice that Simon is silent at this point. He knows what Jesus is saying. Who but God alone can forgive sins? To whom but God alone do we owe our all? He lends us everything and one day it must all be given back. If this Jesus can truly forgive sins, then he is the one to whom we must come for each one of us. Whether we owe a lot or owe a little, we owe too much. Too much that we cannot pay. The sinner needs a saviour. And it is by grace that we are saved through faith in Christ. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Each one of us here today a sinner has an unmanageable, unpayable debt towards God and Jesus offers to pay that sin, taking it to the cross, that we might receive in its place the forgiveness and right relationship with God. That if we are honest with ourselves, we each long for and know we need. There will be many here today who have made that transaction, who have given their debts to God and have received his life. There may be some here today who have yet to do that. I want to make it clear today that Jesus has the authority to forgive you your sins. Come and receive him as Saviour and Lord. Hear and believe these words. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And may we be those who offer that same undeserved forgiveness, grace and mercy to others. For which one of us may stand in judgment over another as though we were better or more deserving than they are of God's grace, mercy and forgiveness. May we be a community of Christ-changed people, sorry for our sin, repentant and restored, forgiven and offering forgiveness for others, a fragrance that spreads far and wide, perhaps to every corner of Horsham and beyond. We are to invite Jesus into the home of our life. Invite him, come dine with me, but respond also to his invite to come die with me, come live with me. Welcoming others as we ourselves would want to be welcomed, that they too may know the love, grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus for themselves. Amen.